Brett Favre in a Bucks t-shirt. <laughs> What's going on in this world? Is his face is as red as the Bucky the Buccaneer there. Bucky the Buccaneer, Chris. What is going on with Bucky the Buccaneer? At jbroska55 says, someone tell Chris that Bucko Bruce is the original mascot of the Buccaneers. I know. I, I choked. I choked under the primetime lights. And I knew it was Bucko Bruce. I just messed up. I choked in the moment. Sorry. It's a Wednesday edition of PFT Live, and I love the Chris Sims Photoshop on the original Tampa Bay Buccaneer helmet. That That is a bravo that is to well whoever done. in the control room I did like that. that. And you know, the added benefit of that? Man, EJ. EJ? Yeah, he's the EJ, man. EJ, let me tell you something. Yeah. The knife in your teeth you can use to take your own spleen out. <laughs> it works You're perfect. You're funny. I already used it. That's why I got it there. I mean, I, I carved it out <laughs> with my hands, and is I was that, like, wait, I got a spleen wait. in my hands. Let me put the knife here, okay? <laughs> is that is that why the back end of the knife, the it's business all, end is red? It, yeah, it's all red. red. I stuck it in there and dug that thing out. <laughs> I, I dug it out. So, <laughs> you know how the highlights go. You know, we, we don't always see either beforehand. <laughs> so I saw Bucky, Bu, you know, Buck, Bucko Bruce there, and I just choked in live live time and didn't even realize during the show that that was actually Brady's face on, you know, uh, uh, on the emblem there on his shirt. So I was all thrown off in, in live TV there. But uh, I do know my Buccaneers very well. Everyone out there having their breakfast while watching the program on Peacock TV, Spleen. we apologize for references to spleenectomies. Uh, enjoy your sausage. But uh, we are on Peacock TV, as usual, live streaming, Sirius XM 211, if you're listening in your car or on your Sirius device, wherever it may be, NBCSN re-air at 9 Eastern. So welcome in if you are enjoying us via those avenues and then sky sports whenever we're on sky sports they tell us it's seven o'clock local time uk and ireland whenever it is hello welcome in and let's talk football for a couple of hours before we do that though happy birthday to the great bruce springsteen wow who turned 71 today which is both terrifying uh and uh surprising and uh you know as everyone else gets older that means we get older too and i'm a late arrival to the bruce springsteen party there's a belief that every sports writer must be a bruce springsteen fan i wasn't until a couple of years ago, the trigger for me was seeing his one-man show when he was on Broadway just a couple of years ago. And right. that has turned me into a full-blown listen-to-Bruce-Springsteen far more often than I don't type of a guy. So, uh, happy birthday to the boss. And Andy's from Jersey. Jersey. Does that resonate for you well, at all? I mean, of course. Freehold, you ever drive down to Freehold and hang out? I, I mean, yes. Like, Little League Sports, I wasn't going there to hang out. But uh, it's a little bit way of a ways like as far as where I grew up. Uh, but I mean, a legend, he is part of the fabric of New Jersey. He really is. I mean, him, Bon Jovi. And I, of course, probably would say Bruce Springsteen, Springsteen even like wins that battle, uh, you know, even more than Bon Jovi, but just, you always hear about those two guys in the state, their music, people's love affair with them. Uh, so happy birthday to him. 71. Damn. I was never big on him either. I never was. Uh, I, I'm a late arrival as well. I'm like you. Thursday night when you're relaxing in your barn, yep. dial up on whatever music streaming service you use, Western Stars, one of his newest albums. Okay. I listen to it almost every day. Last night I was down in my barn. I listened to it twice while I was down there working. 
So Western Stars, check it out. Very relaxing. Great way to take the edge off in addition to anything that you may be drinking. I'll have lots of things to, to take, take the, the edge, edge off. That's one more edge us off now. <laughs> All right. The Patriots trying to take the edge off on their receiver room. Cam Newton answering questions about whether and to what extent the Patriots have what they need or whether they need to enhance their receiving core as they try to build on a one-on-one start. Here is Cam Newton from WEEI on Tuesday talking about whether or not the answers to their problems at receiver are already on the team. Do you feel like you need uh, another receiver? Would you like to see the Patriots do something when it comes to that position? <laughs> Man, I'll say this. The answers are in that locker room, simple and play. You know, we got a little bud, dope boy, highway <laughs> 11, and, you know, my germs. So we we good to go. And um, so, oh, we have, let me, let me rewind that. We have Jameer Bird, mm-hmm. uh, Nikhil Harry, <laughs> Dewey Edelman, and Jacoby Myers. So those are the guys. And look, Edelman and Harry are getting it done. Jameer Bird flashed in the game against the Seahawks. Yes. Jacoby Myers hasn't done much. He's got one catch for seven yards. Is that enough? Or do you think they need to enhance? I mean, will this work in progress get better? Or should they look for something from the outside? They did last year giving up a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu near the trade deadline. I think they're going to continue to evaluate as they go. I do think they're, it's enough for right now. But, I mean, but, but yeah, we're still early where we are. And you could see there is potential with the group. I do think it's a group that will continue to get better. I mean, Demir Bird is a guy that, you know, yeah, in Arizona, been around a little bit, but he's an experienced player. And Keel Harry, you're seeing him just getting used to the NFL. You know, but then I think the big thing is we know they got Julian Edelman and and you said it, Jacoby Myers, who was more dependable last year and in the flow. And uh, so he's there as a backup. But the other thing you always take into account with them, too, is, of course, they're running backs. And like Rex Burkhead is a receiver slash running back. You know, James White not having him there last Sunday night. You know, that hurts them. His ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, do those things. So they have enough to where in the New England way, they'll find other guys to take up some of those roles that maybe a receiver would do this, but we'll get, you know, our running back or we'll make the receiver move to here in some creative formation to get it done. Uh, I do think there's enough, but I think like New England always does. They'll, they'll be evaluating and watching how this goes through the next few weeks. Yeah, and look, it's working. That's the bottom line. Regardless of the names involved, when Cam Newton has the kind of night he had against the Seahawks with the significant uptick in passing production, it doesn't matter who the guys are. And the way it works is when you have games like that, the guys on the team become stars. They become the guys that exactly. people know about. They right. become the guys whose jerseys are purchased, who you pick up on your fantasy team, who you can't wait to see what they do next. And you don't need to use draft capital for next year to try to make the team better this year. So no, no. I think – but now now still, Odell Beckham Jr. would dramatically enhance that offense right. if Cleveland decides at some point before the trade deadline to dangle him and the Patriots are interested. But they may be fine without him. They could be great with OBJ – but it looks like they're going to be just fine with the guys they have, assuming they stay healthy. Yeah, well, I think the, the the thing that you have to be worried about is there's not a lot of wiggle room for injury with the group because they're not real on the roster. They don't have a ton of wide receivers there. So one of them goes down, you're going to start to go, ooh, all right, now they're in a little bit of a bind here and probably going to have to you know sign somebody or continue to look out on the street to see if anybody's there. But when you do look at the receivers – 
You know, of course, we know Julian Edelman can do it all. I mean, it's just amazing what we saw him do last week. It really was. At that age, to be running down the field past Jamal Adams and things like that. So you got him who can work the middle of the field and do everything. You got a Demir Bird who's a little bit more of a speed guy and can win on the outside. He can run go routes and comebacks. And then you got in Keel Harry, which is a guy that, like, Cam Newton's been very used to in his career, right? The Devin Funchesses, uh, the the Devin Funchesses, the uh, Kelvin Benjamins, those bigger type receivers. Oh, he's covered. I'll just throw it up back shoulder. So they have a little bit of everything in the receiving core, I guess is what I'm saying. And the other thing I found cool about that clip, it just tells you already where he's at, you know, as far as Cam Newton. I mean, he's got a nickname for all of them, right? I mean, he's calling them the nickname, and then he wants to make sure he gives them the proper respect so he goes back and says their names the right way. Uh, I just think that was a, a cool little inkling into the leadership of Cam Newton and how he kind of interacts with the team. It was a great interview by Cam Newton yesterday. Talked about how the contract is the last thing on his mind, yep. getting an extension, getting a raise. No, he's focused on football. He is all in on the Patriot way, and it's worked so far. Yeah, they could be slash maybe should be 2-0, and but 1-1 and is a great start when one of those games was a trip across the country That's to right. take on a great Seahawks team. They get a chance to get to 2-1 and this weekend against the Raiders. On Sunday when Drew Locke exited for the Broncos and it began to look like he may miss some time, I pulled up the roster, looked at the depth chart, looked at the practice squad. I saw two other quarterbacks, Jeff Driscoll and Brett Rippon. And it was pretty clear that if Drew Locke was going to miss some time, they would need some help. And there aren't many guys out there. And I allowed myself to think for a second or two that maybe the guy who's been waiting for a phone call, yes, a phone call yeah. for three and a half years, would get one. He didn't. Your guy, Blake Bortles, did. The man who was not put on earth to throw a football, as you have said repeatedly. That's your word, yep. not mine. Yep, that's I don't right. want to get any more angry emails from anybody who are in the Blake Bortles fan club, but... Blake Bortles gets the job sight unseen. Colin Kaepernick continues to wait. And, you know, I saw uh, someone explain yesterday, well, you know, they wanted to sign him last year. Well, it was a different offensive coordinator last year. So, right. I mean, so what if they were interested? Last year they were interested in Colin Kaepernick five years ago. I mean, it, it, but, but the bottom line is Bortles was available for a reason. He was on no one's 80-man roster or 90-man for the teams that had 90 right. and went through all the final cuts, and there was, his name was never even mentioned. It no. wasn't until this Drew Locke injury that Blake Bortles comes back. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. Look, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I've reached, you know, the acceptance phase, the Colin Kaepernick, it's over, it's done. And I think this Blake Bortle signing by the Broncos is just simply another last nail in the coffin. Yeah, it, it is. It, it really is. There's no doubt. Uh, I mean, Bortles is, is a fortunate situation for him because the Broncos are one of those situations where, you know, like you said, you look at the roster and you go, oh, man, yeah, they don't have much there. It's just those two guys, and then it's a lot of unproven commodities that no coach or GM in their right mind's going to go, oh, well, hey, we'll roll the dice and let him be the backup this week. You know, Jeff Driscoll could get hurt, first drive, high ankle sprain, and all of a sudden you're going, whoa, you know, we got a young guy like Rippon who was on the practice squad last week out here in the game or whatever it may be. So that's why they needed Blake Bortles for just in case Driscoll gets hurt. They got to have a guy that at least has, like, played NFL football. Knows how to like run an offense, get in and out of the huddle, do those type of things. Uh, so th I think that's where the value of Bortles is here. Just more or less that, being able to execute offense, been in a few different ones, so he'll be able to pick it up you know, fairly, fairly quickly. And yeah, Blake is not a guy you know that is, is put under earth to, to throw the football. He is big, he's got some leadership, and he's a good athlete. 
And at the very worst, they'll have to figure something out with that type of skill set. But, yeah, I don't expect him to be in there to beat Jeff Driscoll out or anything like that. Driscoll played well last week, very well. How telling is it that the yeah. Rams signed Bortles last year? Says it all. The backup yeah. to Jared Goff. And they let his contract lapse. And there was never a conversation, right. never a discussion, never an inkling about bringing him back. Doesn't that – look, and I, look, I'm sorry to anyone out there that – is is in the Blake Bortles fan club, as small as it may be, but doesn't that tell us everything? Pretty much. It does. Yes. I, I, I think that is like the ultimate writing is on the wall. Sean McVay, quarterback whisperer, offensive genius. You know, there they are with a team the right, you know, the year after the Super Bowl. Here we are two years after the Super Bowl. They went in another direction with a guy that's an unproven commodity too this year to be a backup quarterback and just said that. Eh. So yeah, they obviously didn't love what they saw from Blake Bortles. That, that's where, you know, he's not the perfect backup in the world as we know, because he's not going to come out just throwing balls all over the field and doing that. That's not what he is. He's never been about that. And uh, yeah, it's, he wouldn't be my backup. That's all I'm saying. Who would you have picked between Bortles and Kaepernick, or is that a stupid question? Well, it, it's it's not a stupid – I mean, there, there's no question between the talent and things like that. But, again, I think even for a guy like me who loved Colin Kaepernick and was, was saying at one point he was one of the five best quarterbacks in football, I just would be, you know, scared to death that he – it's been that long, he hasn't played, and it's just not that easy to get back out there and play football or even get into the practice mode when you haven't been around it, especially a quarterback – it's different there. So I understand them going with Bortles just because of the experience and he's been around and doing those type of things, and he's not a distraction. But uh, the talent, the pure talent, that's not even close. Yeah, I mean, Bortles hasn't done anything all year either. No, you're right. Shape Bortles is in. You're right? right. The last time he was with the team was week 17 of last year. That's right. No I employment know. after that all the way until yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and one quick history lesson for those of you out there who are inclined to traffic in the Colin Kaepernick false narratives, because one of them is that the Broncos were interested in him after he became a free agent and he said, no, thank you. That is just not true. I you hear Here's that everywhere. Happened. It actually drives right. me crazy. It's become the story and, and, and it's not real. And here's the thing, and this is a line that D. Smith used during the lockout in 2011. You're entitled to your own opinions. You're not entitled to your own facts. These are the facts, and they are undisputed. It was in 2016 when the 49ers were considering moving on from Colin Kaepernick because his contract was $12 million and it was guaranteed at that point because he had three different injuries that required surgery. They couldn't cut him before the start of the league year or more accurately, April 1, when his contract became guaranteed for skill injury and cap and they had the $12 million on the books. So they looked into trading him. The Broncos were very interested in trading for Colin Kaepernick. That was after Peyton Manning retired and Brock Osweiler defected for the Texans. So the Broncos were interested, but what they wanted to do was to get Colin Kaepernick to take less than the $12 million he was fully entitled to, and he said, no, thank you, and that's when the trade fell through. And there's a postscript to this, because then in 2017, when he was a free agent without a $12 million guaranteed salary, yeah. with no real leverage at all and no one interested, John Elway's position on Kaepernick was, well, he had his chance last year. That's why we're not interested in him this year. Meanwhile, after Brock Osweiler was the subject of the hot potato trade that sent him from the Texans to the Browns and the Browns cut him and the Broncos need another quarterback, 
They signed Osweiler, even though Osweiler stuck his finger in their eye in free agency the year earlier. You can't make this stuff up, Chris. No, you cannot. And that is the story. You're right. It's a, it's amazing how the story's become paraphrased and that, yes, yeah, somehow it's falsified. And he, yeah. he is the one that had the chance to sign with the Denver Broncos and didn't do it. And that's just not the way it went down. But that's the world we live in right now. There is there is the facts, and then there's the story that people like to tell themselves so they feel good that aren't the facts, but they just feel good, I guess, about it. I don't know. Post-Truth America, and the problem that I've noticed, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole just now, maybe later. We've got nearing your grievances segment today. But people are starting to learn that grift. That's the problem. That no matter how untrue a set of facts may be, if you repeat it enough times, it magically becomes the truth. Right. It's 1984. If you haven't read George Orwell's 1984, go read it because two plus two is five if you say it enough times. All right, time to move on. Giants are signing running back Devontae Freeman to fill the void created by the season-ending injury to running back Saquon Barkley. Freeman, I'm told, gets up to $3 million this year. Up to means the base level is a lot lower. He's going to have to perform to get it. But you know what? This is the thing that I always say. When an Adrian Peterson gets dumped onto the market late and has this compulsion to go find another job right now, Yeah. For running backs, there's value in waiting because yeah. I guarantee you if Adrian Peterson hadn't signed with the Lions, he'd have gotten a pretty good deal to sign with the Giants once Saquon Barkley's out for the year, Chris. Well, yeah, yes, he, he would have. He certainly could have dangled their feet by the fire a little bit more and probably squeezed some more money out of them. That, there's no doubt. Uh, but I guess he felt like there was a need to go there in Detroit. There was, and they want to run the football. And, and again, maybe the Giants wouldn't have been a place where he would have looked at anyways because this offensive line is not good. They can't open up any holes for Saquon Barkley, and I don't expect them to be opening up holes anytime soon for Devontae Freeman or anybody else. So Devontae Freeman, we'll, we'll see what he has you know, left on, on his tires as well. He's been a guy that – you know, was visited, what do you think, Mike, three, four different teams here this offseason? Seattle, uh, Jacksonville are the two that I can remember. Right. Seattle and Jacksonville. Okay. And then, you know, we had the we heard the conversations that maybe he was asking for too much money uh, and during free agency to go somewhere. You know, he's a smaller type running back who runs like he's Ezekiel Elliott. He's been beat up. But the Giants have a real need, and they don't really have, again, like a guy that I think is a, a proven commodity that you can trust. They got Wayne Gallman. Okay, he's still young and he hasn't done anything. Deion Lewis, all right, he's a third down type back. So Devontae Freeman's kind of that first and second type bat, down back that can run the football and pick up blitzes and has been around the block a few times. 656 rushing yards last year in 14 games. It's been several years since Devontae Freeman's several. last 1,000-yard game. A season, rather. A 1,000-yard game would be significant. 1,000-yard season, it's been in several uh, years. And, you know, he's a guy who who flashed potential early in his career and and created the allure of a potential workhorse tailback, shortlist, top in the NFL, and never quite punched through. I mean, let's face it. He never quite punched through completely. Part of it is Tevin Coleman was there as well. Right. But... It, but but look, he, he he gets his chance now. He waited and waited, and this was his best opportunity with the season-ending injury to Saquon Barkley. But, but, so yeah. we'll see what he can do. The Giants clearly have a need, and right. there may be a great opportunity there because if the defenses now say, we're going to drop extra guys into coverage and force Danny Dimes to, to beat us, there may be some running lanes for Devontae Freeman. Yeah, there might be. It's going to be about, you know, you know like you said, it's, it's, it's been a physical career. And he has seemed to have fizzled out a little bit. 
Unfortunately, I mean, it really is because he was a really good player. This is what stinks about the NFL. He is literally the poster child for like running back where you go, man, okay, first few years, pretty good. Believe he got a second deal, right? As soon as he got that second deal, you were like, whoa, I think he might be done. I mean, maybe you got one real good year out of him out of that second deal, but then the body just fell to crap and you know, here he is. Yeah. Not that long after just going to the super bowl and being one of the better running backs in the game to now you're going, damn, we're four years later and he, he can barely find a team to get on. It's just the sad story of the running back. And, uh, Hey, it's good for him that he found a home. They need him. You're right. It's not going to be easy there though. The giants offensively are challenged as we know right now. One more item of news on this Wednesday morning edition of PFT Live. Chris, you've said in the past that John Gruden views his offense as a Ferrari and he entrusts the quarterback with the keys to it. John Gruden had two choices on Monday night. Buy a Ferrari, at least a used Ferrari, or set aside $100,000 to pay to the NFL by not wearing a mask during the game against the Saints. Well, John, you could have had a real Ferrari because now $100,000 is disappearing. Both he and Sean Payton, the Saints head coach, find that amount, the same amount that was uh, taken from Kyle Shanahan, Vic Fangio, and Pete Carroll based upon what happened Sunday when they blatantly refused to wear their masks. We've got five coaches now with fines of $100,000. Their teams fined $250,000 each. I poked around yesterday, Chris, to see if there was any momentum toward getting rid of the requirement yeah. that coaches wear masks because look, we, you know, we went back to kind of the original stance here. They were going to test everyone three times a week. You got to wear the masks on the sideline when it morphs into, we're going to test everyone every day and they haven't announced it yet, but they're going to do it all season long. You don't need the coaches to wear masks, right. but, but no one is going to retreat from that position unless they have to. And unless the owners take over and say, we don't want this, and more than 24 of us are going to vote in favor of getting rid of that rule, the rule is staying there. So John Gruden knows, Sean Payton knows, Pete Carroll came out and said, hey, sometimes you got to get coached up, and you get coached up to the tune of having six figures taken out of your bank account. But, uh, you know, the good news is this fine money goes to charity. But other than that, hey, wear the masks. Mike Tomlin came out yesterday and said, it's not that hard. Go ahead and wear it. You and I have conversed about yeah. whether it does impede the ability to call plays, but other guys are doing it yeah, and know. calling plays. Even if Mike Tomlin doesn't call plays, right. others are doing it and calling plays. So the expectation is that all will. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's the, you know, you're right. There's plenty that are following the rules and doing it the right way, calling the plays with the mask on. Uh, I, I just, you know, again, I don't love the rule for the reasons you explained. I don't. And you know, at the very least, I mean, okay, John Gruden takes his mask down and now he's on the sideline yelling, Green right X, shift the Viper right, 382 X stick lucky with all these people around him. The mask is down. He's at the, the, the optimal point for him to spray, uh, you know, mouth fluid everywhere. All right. And do that. But hey, that's all right. Now put the mask back on while you don't talk and uh, watch the play. I mean, it just, it's, it's optics at that point. It's optics. That, that's, that's the only thing I'm arguing here. And like you said, it's an everyday testing. If there is a group or a group of people that should be able to go without a mask in the world right now at their workplace, it would be an NFL coach or an NFL player. There is nobody under more strict, uh, what do I want to say, you know, circumstances or anything like that in, in all the world. There's nobody being monitored more closely. That's what I wanted to say.
damn words. Every damn day. Right. And you've got the players walking around the facility with the devices that beep if they get within six feet of each other. Right. Now, it all goes out the window when it's time to play a game. And the whole idea is let's keep everyone safe so we can play a game and not have to worry about it. But that's the point. And that's where we've got. the gotten. coaches are part of this effort to keep everyone right. safe so we can play a game and not worry about it, we don't need to have this optical illusion of people wearing masks. And, folks, look, here's the thing. If the NFL is concerned about the optics, I mean, first of all, the optics are confusing because the players don't have masks on. And second of all, look around. The, the optics battle has been lost. Yes, it has. Either you are sufficiently conscientious to wear a face covering or you're not. It's like any other political issue right now, and this shouldn't be a political issue. No one's mind is going to be changed. You've either resolved you're going to do it or you've resolved that you're not, and there's no middle ground. All right, let's take a break. When we return, plenty of middle ground, high ground, and low ground in the power rankings. Uh-oh. Chris, what do you mean, uh-oh? I think they're pretty good this week. Of course, I they have to good. say that because I'm the one that put them together. We'll talk about the week, the week three PFT power rankings when PFT Live continues right after this. Week three power rankings. Time to take a look at how the deck has been reshuffled after the second game of the season. The top four teams unchanged, locked in, even though the Patriots lost, Chris Sims. They yeah. barely lost to the Seahawks. I'm letting them hold their spot. Thought about putting the Bills ahead of them. The Bills get a bump from seven to five. The Packers up three to six. Titans up one to seven. It's the Saints who fell three after losing to the Raiders down to number eight. That's the top ten. The Steelers crash into it as well. I dropped the 49ers out of the top 10, even though they won 31 to 13. That's one of the biggest fallers of the week from six all the way to 13. And it's justified. Even though they destroyed the Jets, the injuries are too much. The Nick Bosa injury, the killer, but all the others combined. This is a one and one team that right now is closer to the middle of the pack than the top. And they're going to have to prove that they can win football games without these key players, Chris. Yeah. Maybe they can, yeah. but they're going to have to show it first. Yeah, I, I understand you questioning them. I, I do. I get that. I mean, where we're sitting right now, yes, if you're going to just go, you go, yeah, they're, they're a beat up football team. This is not the team that I power ranked a few weeks ago that was healthy. And, you know, so I understand that totally. Did you think at all about moving the Chiefs because off the number one mantle? Because I just would say, I would have, uh, and again, I get it. I'm just saying I probably would have put the Ravens at number one just through the way they've looked through two weeks, the Chiefs being a little shaky last week and everything there. But I know it's the, the kings of the hill still and nobody's knocked them off the pedestal. That's basically your reasoning. We're going to focus more on all the 2-0 and teams next hour. There are 11 of them tying a record high. Who are the contenders? Who are the pretenders? I think we'd both agree that Chiefs and Ravens are contenders. But yeah. to answer your question – I, I do go with the king of the hill mentality. It's okay. easy. I don't have to rethink it. It's yeah, you, you are, as the defending champion, entitled to the top spot until someone beats you. Okay. And you know what? The Ravens get their chance on Monday night. They Anyone do. out there that doesn't like the fact that the Ravens aren't number one, the Ravens get their chance to claim the top spot on Monday night. And that's one of the reasons why I left them there. You know, I may have deviated from it, Chris, if that wasn't the next game on the schedule. Okay. But they get a chance to prove it. On the field Monday night, if the Ravens are better, the Ravens win. If the Chiefs are better, the Chiefs win. The game's in Baltimore, so the Ravens have a little bit of an edge, not the same that they'd have if fans were actually filling up the place. We talked about the 49ers. Let's revisit it. When do you reach the point of no return? How many more can they withstand before it all just falls apart? Or 
or is your guy Kyle Shanahan wired to never let it fall? Well, off? he's he's wired to never make an excuse or or like blink an eye. He'll continue to just go like, okay, I got an issue here. How am I going to fix that? And then let me build a game plan around it. That's where Kyle is great that way. You know, can the roster handle it? Things like that. I mean, hey, we're going to see. Uh, I'm, 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 of course, concerned as a friend and a guy that roots for the 49ers and things like that. But I'm not concerned to where I'm like, oh, the season's over yet. Not, No, not like that. Because um, let's, let's see. Let's see as we go forward and evaluate. There is still a lot of talent on the football team. Shanahan is special. We're going to get George Kittle back right there. So you're going to have him back and Debo Samuel back. There will be a few guys that get mixed back in to the healthy group here that I think could make us change our thought on them maybe in the next two to three weeks to where we start to go, okay, yeah, I know there's no Nick Bosa, but okay, there's D Ford. Oh, George Kittle's there. Debo Samuel's there. Oh, Richard Sherman's back. Okay, it's not as bad as we thought. Or, you know, they seem to be regaining their form. They just got to kind of weather this storm right here and see if they can battle through it. And fortunately for them, they're playing what I would, you know, yeah, the Giants are certainly one of the worst teams in the game right now. So, uh uh, it, it, it's an evaluation. I'm not panicked, but I'm a little concerned. I guess that's what I'm saying. And let's make sure we're clear on this. 49ers fan, close friends with Kyle Shanahan. They're playing your New York I know. Giants. It's messed up. The team up. that your dad took to the top of the mountain. Right. This is it. Who who are you rooting for this weekend? This is your last chance yep. to change your answer from last week. No, it's it's Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. I'm sorry, Big Blue and the Giants. I'm sorry, but yeah, it, this is uh, this is a, a friend, a family friend. Uh, you know, I'm close to him, and as much as I love the New York Giants, yes, I'm gonna root for him. And it pains me. Trust me. There is no team I hated more growing up than the San Francisco 49ers. That's why it, it, is that is that is that irony? Is that is that classify as irony? I don't. I've given up trying to figure it out because there's no good for whatever incremental. Is it ten thousand spoons when all you need right. a knife? I mean, is that's it? That's exactly right. Yeah. I've given it up. It's okay. coincidence. Okay. It's always coincidence. <laughs> it may not be irony, but it's always coincidence. All right, uh, New England Patriots. They're they're justifying my faith in them preseason based on how they've performed. What have they done so far through two games that you didn't expect to see, Chris? Uh, well, I think the big one was just what we saw last week. The throwing, the, the throwing the football had to be the thing we had to see to go, okay, we know they're going to have creative ways to run the ball and use Cam Newton and do that type of stuff. But what about that game when a team takes away all that? Are they going to be able to rely on the drop-back pass game? And I think that was the thing that surprised me more than anything. Not that I was doubting it could be successful – didn't know it could be that successful on week two of the NFL season in Seattle, who's got a much improved secondary and, of course, is one of the better teams in football. So, uh, and yeah, we questioned, we talked about this to start the show. Just the receivers themselves, were they going to establish themselves? All we were told last year was there's no weapons in New England. There's no weapons. There's no weapons. And I also think, hey, these guys are a year older. Demir Bird added to the list. And I do think this emphasizes the fact a little bit that Cam Newton's willing to stand in the pocket and throw the ball down the field. These are the things that were the issues with Brady last year that no one wanted to blame Brady. Everybody wanted to blame everybody else in New England. And I think, you know, Cam Newton kind of brought that to the forefront too.
So you're saying in very subtle fashion that maybe the perception of a lack of weapons had something to do with the quarterback, not necessarily the weapon. I think it was a little overdone. I, I understand people questioning the weapons and going, hey, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of help and all of that. But I think it was overblown because no one could figure out why New England's offense wasn't working good. And no one's going to blame 12 on New England. So everybody just tried to find an excuse of, O-line's not protecting good. Receivers aren't good enough. And I, I get it. We see that with all the old legends. I mean, at the end of Eli Manning's time here with the New York Giants, here was the phrase from all the Giants fans. If you put great receivers and a great offensive line around him, he could still be good. Oh, no crap. So could I. Go, let me play then. Give me great receivers and a great O-line. I'll come back out and play. So, yeah, that's where it was frustrating to me as a football guy going, we're not – realistically evaluating this people are making up excuses and not that these guys are great yet but you see new england's got a good system cam newton's aggressive and they're coming along this group uh, and edelman's the only really proven guy there give him great offensive line great running game great receivers great defense great special teams great coaching He'll you can fine. win with that guy right that's, that's that's where it gets to sometimes and you're just like what okay well i think a lot of people could win with that guy all right the saints have dropped five spot or three spots rather from five Ooh. to eight and you said it last week when they beat the buccaneers you said there's reason to be concerned about the saints and those concerns came to fruition on monday night against the raiders what can you do now to, to push the buttons and to get more out of this offense? We don't know what Michael Thomas's status is going to be. They could put him on three-week IR. They didn't. That at least leaves the door open for him to come back on Sunday night against the Packers. But there's a potential statement game in the offing on Sunday night when Green Bay goes to New Orleans. Kind of. And if everything we've seen – so far this year in their different context, the Packers shredding the Vikings in a place that ordinarily is a great home field advantage, but without fans, it's not. And then shredding the Lions after spotting them a lead. And we see the Saints who they didn't have their way with the Buccaneers. They got the win. But was that more about the Buccaneers or the Saints? We don't know. And then the Saints looking sluggish against the Raiders. You put those two halves together. Right. And... I'm not picking the Saints on Sunday night. Let me go ahead and give you a preview of our Mega Picks podcast coming tomorrow. I won't be picking the Saints. What if it ends up being a blowout? How do you avoid that at this point if you're Sean Payton and the Saints? Yeah, it's a little scary. I don't expect them to be blown out just because I still think they're a, you know, a good football team. But how good? I think that question is still up in the air. I mean, you mentioned it. Week one was not pretty. The offense was ugly in week one. And I don't know if they win the game if Brady doesn't throw the two interceptions, one of them being pick six, and the other one, I don't know, gave New Orleans the ball, what, at the 35-yard line going in? I'm not sure they can win it with the way they're playing right now. So, yeah, they're one and one, but it's an, uh, you know, an unimpressive one and one. And, you know, the way the Raiders move the ball in their defense, I think, concerned me. Too. I mean, uh, not, not the Raiders, the, way, the lack of the fact that the Saints couldn't move the ball on the Raiders' defense concerned me. I mean, the Raiders' defense, I don't expect that to be anything special this year. There's nothing there to hang your hat on. And, you know, to go through that second and third and early fourth quarter without being able to move the ball at all, uh, yeah, I think there's there's definitely, like, some concern there. Can Breeze push the ball down the field? Can they get explosive plays? Their defense, who's who's the playmaker? Who can make a play? Who can do something there? 
You know, it's all been very underwhelming, and uh, yeah, I just don't know what to expect. Is this the typical slow start, you think, from the Saints? Or are we seeing a team that just maybe just passed its prime and is kind of hanging on here, and it's going to be like this all year? I think that could go either way. Well, and the talk of Drew Brees being done and the Saints being done, we'll see what kind of motivation that supplies in the Saints going forward. I had a flash there. I had a thought. Yeah. During your playing career, was there ever a week of preparation where, and I'm not saying the Saints should be feeling this way, but it could go off the rails for them based upon what we've seen so far from Green Bay. Was there ever a week that you spent preparing for a game knowing deep down you were going to get your ass kicked and just blown off the field? Uh, not that you you knew that you were going to get your you know your ass kicked, to, to use your phrase, but certainly games where I went into it going, ooh, I mean – one mistake and we're going to be in trouble in this one. Definitely. I, I mean, I, I can remember the 2006 Baltimore opening game of the year and preparing for them with Ed Reed and Ray Lewis just going, wow, they're better than us. There's no doubt about it. And uh, they might just steamroll us and kill me on the way, uh, way to the quarterback every play. But one mistake and we're going to be in trouble. And, and we made three mistakes. I know I threw three interceptions that day. But, yeah, there's certainly those moments where you know the room for error is very little. Is it irony that you survived the Ravens but then almost didn't survive the Panthers? I guess. I don't know. I know, right? You know, you see, Either way, they were both big, bad, and brutal. They had more big dudes on their teams than anybody in football at that time. So that was not the two teams you wanted to play two out of your first three games. Speaking of your Buccaneers, they're one and one. Yeah. They stayed put at number nine. No rise, no fall. We're still kind of monitoring what this team is going to be, which way they're going to break. How do you feel about their chances of making it all click? They go to Denver, a place where Tom Brady has had some bad experiences, but he's never faced Jeff Driscoll as the starting quarterback, so that gives him a little bit of a bump. But they've got the Broncos, home game against the Chargers, and then they go to Soldier Field to take on the Bears. Do you think Brady and the Buccaneers are trending up, or are you concerned? No, I think trending up, and and I'm gonna, I'm going to watch that film right after this show today. I haven't got it gotten to that, you know. But, it, but my 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 big thing with first off, I mean, very fortunate, you know, to have Carolina week two, and now you get to go play Denver without their arguably their three best players on the team. I mean, Von Miller, Drew Locke. Cortland Sutton, I don't think anybody would argue those three best guys on the team. They don't have to play them. That's a great gift for them. So they're still a work in progress. That, that would be I, – I didn't sit there, again, watching the game on TV on Sunday going, oh, Bucks got it figured out. Here we go. I mean, that game was teetering on, whoa, the Buccaneers' offense is really stalled out, and Carolina's going to come back and tie this football game. So, yeah, there is still questions there, definitely. I did think we saw more of the Brady offense early in the game – more than New England, short passes, get Brady involved, get him comfortable with what he's seeing and that. And maybe that'll be more of their approach going forward. Um, it, just to go, all right, we'll do Brady and we'll slowly infuse the Aryan stuff as we go along to maybe get this perfect mesh at some point. Um, but I'm not sold either. Like, okay, you have them at nine. I probably would have put the Rams at 12 or the Steelers at 10 in front of the Buccaneers right now, just because I'm not quite sure what they are, but, but I, I, I get it. And to tie segment one to segment two, there's a chance we're going to have a rematch of the 2017 AFC championship game. If Jeff Driscoll goes down and Blake Bortles is ready, it could be Bortles no, versus right. Brady 
all yeah. over again. A game that Bortles, but for a horrible call that took away a touchdown that yeah. put the Jaguars up 17 in the fourth quarter, Bortles may have won. You'd still feel like he wasn't put on earth to throw a football, but he would be able to say that he beat Tom Brady in a championship game. No doubt. All right, let's look at the back half of the power ranking, 17 through 32. And there are the Eagles. I dropped them down four spots after they lost at home in convincing fashion to the L.A. Rams. What would you be doing to get Carson Wentz back on the right track after what we've seen so far from him this year, after we saw so much promise last year when he was making it happen with a bunch of no-names around him? Well, offense is just so hard in Philadelphia. I mean, watching that film yesterday, it's just it, it, there, there's no run game to be consistent of. It's not like Carson Wentz. Now he was he off a little? Like yes, did he throw? Did he throw two interceptions in the game? You know, one of which one was only in the competitive part of the game. The other one was they're down by seventeen, and he had to force in it, force the issue. But you know, the, the big thing is, yeah, okay, Carson Wentz certainly can be a little loose with the football, throws it all arms every now and then to lose control of the ball. Doesn't know when to like die and just go, hey, I'm gonna get sacked. I'm gonna go down. You know, there is that little reckless part of his game that he certainly can fix. But, you know, the Eagles, it, it's a little bit like last year still. They got to do more to help him. I mean, pass protection, not great. I'm not sitting there watching the film going, oh, there's people open everywhere and Carson Wentz is missing them. In fact, I sit there and go, how many times can they ask this guy to jam a ball into tight coverage nine and ten yards down the field? I mean, it's it's constant. It's it's Ertz smashed in between two people. It's Goddard smashed in between two people. So uh, there, there's not a lot of support system around a Wentz right now either. I know it's not perfect, but I think it's a, an offensive totality thing, not just a Wentz thing. Yeah, and it just look. This is the Eagles' way. They they take a while to get Ooh, rolling, man. and then they find it at some point once we've written them off. They need to find a way to get it rolling from the start of the season. Yeah. The Browns at number 24. I picked them up out of the basement. I, I was so dismayed by just the overall dysfunction last week that I dropped them to the bottom. Now they're at number 24. They've redeemed themselves by beating the Bengals. What do you take away from what they did last week to give them any semblance of hope that they can start stringing some wins together moving forward well the baker that offense it showed you that they can make plays baker looked good he didn't lose control of the football just about the whole night i mean made really good decisions and then the run game as we talked about leading up to that game you know we saw in week one we've seen last year chubb is one of the three best running backs in football he is a beast, and they can run block. So those are things to build on. I mean, definitely. Yeah, I think you have the Browns a little too low for my liking, uh, if I was going to argue with you there. But they're certainly not a finished product. I mean, their defense, that's disappointing from what we've seen so far. You got these two-headed monster at running back. The receivers look good. We know the tight ends. Baker corrected. The defense through two weeks, though. Joe Burrow and them moving the ball up and down the field on them. And, of course, week one. Uh, they're too talented to be just getting gashed like that. They've got a rematch coming up week seven against the Bengals. Before that, there are four games that I think will tell us a lot about the Browns. Washington at Dallas, the Colts, and at the Steelers. If the Browns go two and two over the next four weeks, yeah. 
they're in good position mm-hmm. to be competitive. I think they need to win at least one, and their best chance is going to be this Sunday against the Washington football team with a couple of extra days to get ready. Right. We're going to learn a lot about Washington this weekend, too, because they look good against the Eagles, not so good against the Cardinals. It's one of the more intriguing games this weekend between Washington and Cleveland, but the Browns could be moving in the right direction, and they will keep moving up if they can keep winning. The Jaguars at 28, I probably should put them higher they, they beat the Colts, and that win You got the Jaguars at 25, just so you know. You 25, 20, okay, well, even better Sorry. than 28. They were 28 last week. They're now 25. Thank you for correcting me. The Colts win looks better now that the Colts dismantled the Vikings. They went toe-to-toe with the Titans. I feel like I should have them higher than 25, but it was just hard to find how much higher you could go with them. They can go higher, though, um, and this is their chance Thursday night, their annual – if they even qualify for that primetime game, Gardner Minshew versus Ryan Fitzpatrick as the Jaguars and the Dolphins get together. But this is the chance for the Jaguars to show that that the Colts win wasn't a fluke. Because if you're good enough to beat the Colts, you're good enough to beat the Dolphins. And they need to take care of business against the Dolphins. And, uh, you know, if they go if they go to 2-1, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Do we start taking them seriously? I think we should take them seriously I, yeah. where they are right now. That's why I feel bad that I have them at 25. Yeah. Maybe they should be high. Well, it was it was one of the ones that jumped out to me. I just thought, wow. Well, I mean, you're giving uh, to me. I thought, okay, like Florida's giving the Falcons too much respect with their their crappy looking zero and two loss. You know, Washington. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I probably would have put Jacksonville in front of Washington too. Um, you know, Jacksonville. Uh, I think confirmed that they're better than what we thought. Even though they were outplayed week one by the Colts, the way they played last week, you know, against the Titans and that game coming down to the end, yeah, I, I mean, I, I got to give them a little credit right now. I do. I mean, the the fact that they ran the ball like that on the Tennessee Titans, Minshew made his plays in the pass game. You know, they were down. The defense made some big stops to let them back in the game. You know, those were encouraging things. They're a young team. They're not perfect, but um, you know, I, like right now, I'm more hopeful for them than teams like the Falcons and, and even Washington. I, I like what I've seen from them even more. You know, we didn't even oh, – forget it. I won't bring it up. we got to take a break. Let's take a break. Let's yeah. take a break. Let's take a break because we've got airing of grievances, and I've got three of them today. Oh. Four if we include the fact that you didn't get the memo to not wear the black shirt. You're at home. Go to your break. room and we'll change your shirt. Five. You're too Coming. good for your right. home? Yes. <laughs> Listen, we just got to go out there and just play f***ing ball, man. That's all it is. And we just got to stay together and we can't unravel when things are not going our way. We got all the daggone pieces. We just got to go play. Excuse my language, but, man, we just got to go play, man. We got the pieces. And people can say otherwise. It's not in here. They say it's this and it's that. But we got the pieces, man. We just got to go show it and can't do too much talking. You know, the longer it takes to get to the apology, the funnier it is. Like, it was like a 20-second delay between when he said the word and he said, excuse my language. Love it. There's plenty of bad language being used as it relates to the Detroit Lions. 11 losses in a row, and they just can't get right, and it feels like they're going to hit the reset button there eventually. All right, let's reset on this week's airing of grievances. I've got three of them, Chris, which is good because sources close to me tell me that you've got none. And let's get them all out we don't have a lot of time number one and this one's a no-brainer and i've asked the league about it no comment but my understanding is the league has talked to espn about that vehicle with the camera that was a little too close to the field what the hell is that they were lucky that jonathan abram wasn't more seriously injured but that was a moment on monday night where 
everyone's heart stopped for a little bit, wondering what the hell was going on here. But you can't let that cart be that close to the action, period, ever. Agreed there. there there's no argument. I mean, I mean, you can't talk about player safety and then have machines that are there to kill guys on the field. I mean, that's just that's not cool. And th- this is where, you know, yeah, can we figure out another technology to have a camera on the goal line to where we don't have to bring some 4,000 pound cart out there to do it? That's five yards away from the sideline. Uh, that, that, that like, that's a new one. The NFL needs to invest in something there to, to do that because you're right. The cart should not really leave behind the bench area. That, that would be probably the best way because right most stadiums you're in, Mike, there's that extra area behind the bench. And that is you start to leave that 30 yard line mark and get closer to each end zone. It gets tighter in those areas in every stadium, kind of that oval, right? Of the, of how a stadium's built. And by the time you get down by the goal line, there's not a ton of room between where the fans are in the first row and where the field of action is. And, of course, now there's a cart jammed in there. That's just stupid. they got to figure that one out. Here's what I think happened. I think because the fans aren't there and they don't have to worry about obstructing their views, they were able to inch a little bit closer, right, without considering the potential safety hazard. Because if there's fans there, you can't have this monstrosity blocking the view. Yeah. Hey, now the fans aren't here. We can get – we can move a little closer with this 4,000-pound monstrosity. Nobody's going to run into it until they do. The other one I have, and I have two others. I don't know we're going to get to we're the other We're going to get one, to it. Keep grieving. No, no, we're, we're almost out of time. Oh. As it relates to the mask fines, five guys were fined $100,000 each. Yeah. Those aren't the only five who were violating the policy. Those were just the five most blatant. And I'm told that no one else was fined. Well, how does everyone else who wasn't properly wearing the mask get off scot-free and only five guys because they were the most blatant get hammered. It seems like anyone that failed to comply with the full letter of the policy should have been punished, period. I don't like making an extreme example out of the most extreme violators when plenty of other guys are doing it. Plenty of guys had the mask under their noses. So if this is optics, let's make sure it's the right optics and not let people think, hey, it is okay to walk around with your nose hanging out of your mask. Yeah, well, as we've talked about, I think it's stupid at this point being tested every day that they even got to do this and all of that. But uh, I'm guessing... If you're going to hammer five guys and let the other ones go scotch I know, I don't get that either. I'm guessing they're just firing a warning shot to go, listen, we'll take 100,000 from these guys. Watch out, coordinators, anybody else who does it. That's the only thing I could think of. That's a hell of a warning. $100,000 and $250,000 for the teams. That's a warning. Full hour PFT Live still to come. (laughs) 